Broadcasting live from our satellite studios in Chicago, Illinois, it's time for the special on-the-road edition of Learning Insights, featuring learning professionals who are improving performance and driving business results. Welcome to another informative and exciting edition of Learning Insights. I'm your host, Stone Payton, and in the studio with me today, as is almost always the case, is my good friend and co-host, Lee Cantor. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Mr. Stone. How are you doing? I am doing well. I have thoroughly enjoyed, what did our intro person call it, the on-the-road uh, edition of Learning <laughs> That's Insights? Right, on the but road. This, uh, this road trip has been a lot of fun. We've been well-fed. We've... Uh, caught up with some new friends uh and uh this been this is going to be a fantastic segment right out of the box we're going to get a chance to visit with talent development manager with u.s foods inc mr andy bazinski welcome to the show man stone it's a pleasure to be here thanks for the opportunity lee good morning good morning so well, andy why don't we start with kind of overview u.s foods what are you guys doing for folks well u.s foods is a reseller of of food products to um, uh, institutions like healthcare education, um, but it's also big in the industry, independent restaurant arena. Mm -hmm. um, we're also known for our innovation. We have a, a mobile app, online ordering, and a innovative innovation kitchen within our Rosemont facility where we create new innovative products that we take across the United States to restaurants and, uh, and institutions. Is that an invitation to lunch? <laughs> well, if you want to eat the best food in Rosemont is at U.S. Foods. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about this, uh, this role of being a talent development uh, manager. What exactly is your responsibility there? Well, I'll say a couple things. Um, uh, first of all, I'll say that uh, I'm assigned to the merchandising and human resource functions. That's the analytical side of the business, the merchandising side, the category management side of the business. It also includes marketing. So they have some unique challenges. It's also a mission-critical area, so it's very fun to play in. But talent development manager, I'll back up and say, no matter what my job title is, I pretty much perceive myself as an internal or external performance consultant. And, and, and that's what I've been throughout my history. My job is to change behavior and help companies make or save money. Now, whatever my particular job title is, is whatever, is whatever the company deems it to be. Right. Um, talent management, I'll say, is pretty big right now. Uh, that's what they're labeling the entire process from recruiting to development to performance management, et cetera. That broadly today is called talent, talent development or talent management, rather. 20 years ago was probably called something else, and 20 years from now it will be called something else. But So I, my role is to develop the talent at U.S. Foods, but really I see that as being an internal performance consultant. Now, I like to give credit where credit is due, and Danny Langdon, uh, um, another consultant colleague, likes to use the term work scientist. And even though that's funky and it's new and it sounds kind of odd, I like that. I like it. Because, why? Because executives don't often understand what performance consulting is. Maybe they don't understand work scientists either, but uh, I like the focus on work. Well, it explains the lab coat. So that, that <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll stop talking for a minute. Uh, I will. All, no, I will. No, I won't. I'll also say. Yeah. No, I'll also say that um, uh, as a performance consultant, I try to combine many disciplines, and and 
I'll just say that. I'm just trying to combine many. So now, so when you're um, yes. improving the performance of somebody in your organization, mm -hmm. is this something that you think that anybody's performance can be improved, or or they have to have a certain mindset or a certain attitude in order for it to be per, per, uh, improved? Well, uh, some people aren't coachable. Right. That's right. That. Or that some people. Trying? That's what yeah. is that like? Kind of. Are there coachable people and uncoachable people? I believe that 99.9% .9 of the people in the Are world can do 99.9% <laughs> of all jobs. Um, I was lucky enough to become personal friends with Tom Gilbert in the 10 years before he died. Tom Gilbert founded the performance consulting discipline that I follow. He was B.F. Skinner's right-hand man in Harvard and left there to seek a more robust way to change human behavior and Tom was a big, uh, big fan of that statement, which he pounded into me, and I now believe that that if it's if it's critical enough, we can expend the resources to teach practically anybody to do practically anything. And the responsibility for employee behavior and the environment they work in is management's responsibility. And if someone is not performing accordingly, then management needs to invest the resources to make it happen. Now, except for maybe um, Top Gun jet fighter or the best nuclear scientists or nuclear physicists in the world, I have a hard time believing there's not a job that somebody could not be trained to do. So you talk about the manager's role, someone that I have some, some direct uh, economic even, but certainly logistic proximity to if I'm the, if I'm the, uh, the person doing the performing the, the work. So you're saying it's it's really on the manager to reinforce the learning? It, that's Where does that responsibility lie? Or is it the training department or the senior level exec or the what individual? What about the employee? Or the well, I'll say two things. First, to your point, Stone, it's the responsibility of the organization depending on how the organization chooses to address that. It could be with the manager with coaches uh, tied to a specific initiative. It could be a cohort, depending on how the organization decides to approach, uh, and I believe we're talking about learning transfer, learning right. reinforcement. Um, and it's, and Lee, to your point, yes, it is true that every employee and every learner must have some motivational component within them. They must want to do something. But I'll go back to something Tom Gilbert said frequently he said you know if you worried about giving people the information they needed to do their jobs and feedback at the appropriate time on how they're doing and you gave them the skills and knowledge through training to do that job well and you gave them the tools the procedures the policies the computer systems that allow them to do that job efficiently and you created an incentive system that properly rewarded people for a good job you would never have to worry about the motivational <laughs> component so the corollary to that is i'm pretty strict on the kind of initiatives i advocate because we waste so much money in corporate America not doing the things I've mentioned. And you see a lot of initiatives that spend a lot of money that don't affect the areas I've talked about. And then what happens? Management and organizations talk about the motivational component of employees. Oh, there must be something wrong right. with that employee. I come back and say, okay, let's talk about information and training and tools and all those basic areas done well. 
you know what? Um, they're almost always not done well. So have you seen in your career examples where all of those elements are done well and then the performance, you U.S. Know, foods. <laughs> now. <laughs> yes, that is a good example. <laughs> Another example is, is I happened to be in a manufacturing company several years ago with a female CEO that really made great efforts to have those things across the organization and a behemoth company that was a aircraft carrier in terms of mobility had three straight record years of profits. So you've seen the correlation. Yes. And you've seen it actually work in, in the real world, yes. not some theoretical Skinner Boxian world. No. no. <laughs> uh, in fact, the reason Gilbert left Skinner is because he didn't think it was appropriate. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> Now, right, well, I want to. I want to. Yeah. A, a little tangent. Yeah. Would it work for children in school? You know, I don't know. I've spent my career with adult learning and and changing the behavior and improving the behavior of adults. So I don't know. Um, now you'd probably say, "Well, adults are a lot like children," <laughs> and that maybe, <laughs> you'd probably say that too. <laughs> maybe, I would imagine. <laughs> maybe true, but. Um, uh, for example, I, I don't know, and I hesitate to say because that's not my area of expertise. Mm -hmm. uh, a while ago, I was a personal trainer, and people would always say, teach me something about my kids. And I'd say, you know what? My training is centered around adults. It wouldn't be professionally appropriate. So, so you didn't get your answer. Right. You, then you didn't get the answer you wanted. You wanted to hear yes, and here's the manual. Well, you know, I would like to think that we can improve the education for kids out there and some of the things that we learn in this show I would hope would be transferable yes and I believe they are and I, my professional association the International Society Performance Improvement actually has several members that devote themselves specifically to K-12 and other educational mm -hmm. initiatives mm -hmm. and apply some of the performance consulting uh, strategies and tactics that I use to educational systems but that's not me, and I wouldn't want to claim right. credit for that. There's a whole association of you guys that just hang out and talk <laughs> about this stuff all the time? The world is filled with <laughs> geeks, <laughs> computer geeks, technology wow. geeks. These are work scientists. Work and, scientists they all work. and performance <laughs> consulting <laughs> geeks. All right, uh, all kidding aside. Now, I will yeah. say there are many organizations. There are many good organizations. In fact, I maintain a blog for an organization called the Chicago Alliance, which is a network of nine Chicago area professional so performance improvement associations that have a website that lists their monthly events. I encourage anyone in the listening audience today to find the Chicago Alliance blog and check out nine associations area uh, events. Um, so what's what's the website? It's uh, I'm not sure the exact address, but the organization is called the Chicago Alliance. There's also a Chicago Alliance to end homelessness, but you'll quickly see that's number one in Google. And, and you're and, number two. And number two. Anyway, the organization that I belong to that I'm most active in is the International Society for Performance Improvement. And one of the reasons I like ISPI is because it's very broad. It's not only L&D. It's not only ODO organizational development. It's all of PI, all of performance improvement. And really... There's that, a lot of letters yeah. in this line of work, isn't there? There's OD and PI, and <laughs> you keep it all straight. There is. The people with high performance don't have a problem right. with all the letters. 
I'll tell you, I've really tried throughout my career to keep jargon out of my work, and that really puts me at a disadvantage in interviews like this because I have to try to remember all the jargon. But I found that one of the reasons I'm partially successful is because I don't use jargon. Mm -hmm. uh, but yes, as an emerging discipline, we are uh, stone creating our acronyms and our, um, our own language. I want to say I do believe that many organizations become elitist when they create their own language. You go into organizations and they hand you a list. Here are the terms and words we use here. I, I uh, as a as a philosophy major, mm -hmm. I'm totally against it as a sign of an elitist organization. <laughs> so I want to go back uh, for another if we can to, yeah. to this idea of, and I don't even know what the right term for it is. You guys probably have an acronym for it, but where the performance fall falls off, we get lead to a point where he's asking great questions and he's engaging the people that we work with. And you get really good, solid performance immediately after the training and maybe for a few weeks or months. And then you start to see it fall, fall off. Are there things you can build into the training design or execution itself? Is there, are there things that you can build into the, the manager's day-to-day -day responsibility? What, if anything, can you do about this, this fall-off? Because I'm not, I'm not imagining this. This happens to people, right? This fall-off, this degradation? Yes, it okay. does. Traditionally, you see this curve, a very famous curve, where after several hours, people start forgetting what they've learned in training, and then after a couple days, they forget even more, and after nine days, they've lost 99% of it. Right. Uh, that is true from an um, educational psychology perspective. But because I'm a performance consultant, I don't all, only use training classes as an intervention to change behavior. In fact... In my work, when I'm at my best, I will have upfront communication that involves executive leadership that cascades down to the managers who communicate throughout the target audience ex pre-event expectations. And then when I'm at my best, depending on the criticality of the initiative, I will have coaches that are responsible for signing off that every employee in the targeted audience has mastered and transferred the skill to the job. So if you look at a, at a significant, important initiative, and I'm called mm -hmm. in the work in that, I will have upfront communication of expectations, then the event, and then coaching with sign-off. That coaching with sign-off guarantees that the work transfers. Now, two things. That being said, I don't get to do that in every project, and that kind of resource expenditure is not appropriate for every project. Right? Some are simpler than that. Some don't require that. Also, even though I like to have coaching and sign-off by the employee and coach with every major initiative I do, there are things, of course, that we do before, during, and after the events, even within that sequence, to help create memory transfer and the retaining of performance. And I want to, go, I want to talk, stop on that for a minute because even though we talk about learning retention and learning transfer, I'm a performance consultant. All I care about is the application of it. I really don't care if somebody can recall something, some knowledge fact or recall fact in a vacuum. I only care if they can do the work. Now, so application is very important to me, which is why I try to do the uh, coaching with sign-off. Um, so now, uh, coaching with sign-off, how is that? Like, does that have an ending point? Yes. Literally, as I'm, as I'm um, developing the training design, I will create a performance checklist 
that describe the major buckets of performance expected of the learner, and it could be anywhere from three to 20 buckets. I try to keep it to be one page or something simple. Mm -hmm. And there is a space and the learner Mm -hmm. to sign off on each task. So, Lee, you and I work together. You're my coach right after the training. I'm very good at four out of the 12 things. We sign off right away. Over the next several weeks, we work on a couple more. I sign off those. Finally, at the end of the quarter, I get to do the last two because they're a part of the quarterly report run. I do those well for a couple quarters. You and I sign off. At that point, so the check So now the coach is done? Because I've got to keep following up, right? I can't just let you out in the wild untethered it depends on the organization and the structure we put in place either within that organization within that function or for that initiative for example at that point the manager might be competent enough and have the time to take over maintenance Mm -hmm. or there might be a local expert designated to help the learners once the coach goes away or once the sign-off is complete or the coach might be assigned to be an assistant either uh, locally or from a distance. So, yes, there is going to be some kind of support set up. And that's an important component in order to achieve this performance, right? Some sort of support. Well, support over time, yes. But I want to be able to say I need to, as part of the initiative – We typically report to management, and one of the things I look at when I first come to an organization or first take on an initiative is what kind of reporting and reward system they have because that's very important in in reinforcement. So that's a red flag for you if they don't have that or you're going, that's an opportunity for me because I can fix that? Well, to me, that says I may have to put something in place if the initiative is critical enough. Mm -hmm. Um, And the reason I bring up communication systems is because as part of my project planning, I'm talking about how I'm reporting so now, oh, go ahead. Yes. Um, what I'm trying to get to is after, after everyone, at some point, I need to report results to management as part of a business initiative. Wherever my coach is, so if an organization or the initiative does not have a reporting structure or system set up within the organization function or for that initiative, then I'll need to work with leadership to set one up because I do want to report results. And... Having um, talking about reporting results in my upfront change management communications helps set expectations that the transfer will occur because we will be reporting on transfer to leadership when the initiative winds down. Right, and Uh, accountability is an important component as well. Yes. Now that being said, sure, I I have to do a lot of things to make sure that people can transfer that behavior not only with coaching. But I'm a big job aid person. In fact, I'll brag a little bit and say I was one of the five finalists in this General Motors job aids contest. Uh, I was lucky enough to create an electronic performance support system at a, a previous company. Um, uh, I've seen colleagues use things like emails or mobile texts to help support people post-training event. Uh, so, And I'm a big fan of accelerated learning and all the reinforcement techniques that you can use in training and performance events that come out of the accelerated learning field. But to summarize, outside of the coaching, I still do other things to make sure transfer happens. It sounds to me like what you, and and I guess you would have to have to manage work that is this deep and this wide, you have... I don't know, the Bozinski methodology or something. There, there are some rules that you live by anytime you take on and begin to execute a project. You're, I don't know if you've got a checklist or what, but there's this 
this repeatable, transferable set of disciplines that, uh, I mean, you pretty much live by. Is that accurate? Am I, am I sensing? Is that yes, true? Yes, yes. Over the years, I have tried to consciously integrate multiple disciplines and bring that same approach, that same performance consulting approach, if you will. Uh, I've often thought, and I have tried a couple times to map out that model visually to see what it looks like. But I will say at the very least, I am always concerned with process improvement and process reengineering as a foundational step to anything I do. In fact, in some of the best projects I've done, I'll give you one example. We reengineered some business processes. Then we created computer applications based on the reengineered processes and the target audience that would use those applications. So they were a match for their education and experience levels. And then we did lunch and learns and some change management things to prepare that audience for the new application and ended up rolling out those systems without any training or support. Because between the re-engineered processes and the human-computer interface design, the systems and the work processes were so intuitive that the employees didn't need to be trained and supported. That's an example of the power of how an integrated approach could work. Um, But I also am very big on Gilbert's six boxes, which has been used by many people. In fact, Carl Binder just updated the six boxes. Um, Not only do I use it as... um, as an analysis tool, but I also use it to help me develop interventions. And we've talked about some of the things that I focus on outside of training, like information and feedback, tools, incentive systems. All of those factors contribute to employee performance. Now, you mentioned interventions. Is there something about that you can talk about? How do you intervene at, at that moment of need? Are you talking about like fix Bob for me? Right. Or are you talking about <laughs> turn like the I'm department talking, around? Something. You know, a person gets off track. Is there a way to come in and kind of get them back on track in in a crisis? Well, I'll back up and I'll say when I say intervention, I was first referring to the initial event like a training event, like a classroom event where people initially learn the skills and the things I do before or after that event to help with reinforcement. But... During the event or as part of that initiative, yes, we do have to plan for that moment of need. Like setbacks, right? Well, people are not, we should not expect people to memorize anything, right? Just like all of us. It's not what we know. It's our ability to access that information and use it once we find it. And Michael's ability to edit stuff out. That too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Uh, So it is with our learners and and our colleagues. We don't expect them to memorize everything, but we want them to access the information. So I need to make sure that whether it's in a job aid or reference material or an electronic performance support system or in a live or remote coach, that that is available to the learner or the performer at their time of need. Now, this sounds all good, but does it work like also with salespeople? Well, I Because, you know, salespeople are a little different than regular employees. I would say we are all human. (laughs) So in many ways, we are the same. I've worked for an extended period of time with sales. I enjoy working with sales because I'm very lean and very focused on performance and on need to know, not nice to know. And salespeople want things quickly in small chunks. 
so that they can directly affect their sales and their paycheck. And I like that. It's lean, it's focused, etc. Um, so it does work in sales, but again, it's leaner, it's more modular, it's more focused, it's more chunked. But the methodology's philosophy is this is similar. Yes, but it is a bit of a rubber band depending again on the organization, the function, the specific initiative, the management practices around the organization. When I was an external consultant, for example, you would have to initially look at all of those factors, at least glance at them superficially to begin to understand the kind of reinforcement efforts that should occur based on the initiative, the learner, the criticality of the project, etc. Now, again, not everything we're talking about is appropriate for every intervention somebody's rolling out a back safety program or a compliance course on ethics, you might not have the same change management sure. communication, coaching with sign-off. Well, that's a good point because you've mentioned change management two or three times during the course of this conversation. Um, and I know often when I have talked with people in this show about change management, they talk about buy-in and getting people engaged and all that. But, uh, I mean, you don't necessarily always need or want a whole lot of, bunch of energy invested in engagement and buy-in. I mean, if you're going to do compliance training around back safety, you're going to do it or you can't work here, right? Is that, or yes. do you still try to get buy-in yes. in some fashion? Well, I think there's a communication piece to every intervention. Sometimes that communication piece is a two-sentence email <laughs> because that is all that's required for the right. intervention. Sometimes, I mean, I've seen an 8.5 by 11 page matrixed out with – 120 change management event, particular initiative, because it was a global, yeah. multi-country, several thousand people, multi-language initiative that required that investment. So again, it depends on the organization, the initiative, etc. I do believe, though, that participation leads to buy-in, and two-way communication is really important no matter what. No matter the project, we should say something before it happens, and we should allow members of the affected target population to be able to say something back to us. For example, for major initiatives, whenever I put out a communication or a newsletter or have the project team do a lunch and learn, I always invite target audience two-way communication, and I always respect that and incorporate that because participation leads to buy-in, and typically the people that are affected have a lot of good ideas too. Now, is there a mistake that you see in organizations that um, hurts them when they're trying to maximize the performance of their employees? Is there a common over the year, years, something that you've seen over and over that's like, man, when are these guys going to get this right? I'm not asking you to name names. <laughs> <laughs> the performance improvement profession, as I'll broadly yes, call speak it. Speak broadly. Umbrella. <laughs> has really really got its start in World War II, really. Even though the apprentice system hmm. and the master system in the Middle Ages are effective and are still in use today, really the training discipline that has exploded into the PI world that we know today got its start in World War II. And the reason I bring that up is because it is still considered an emerging discipline. And so therefore, it is not precise. It is filled with practitioners of varying skill levels. It is understood by organizations with a varying degree of understanding. Um, its effective, its um, use and effectiveness really varies across corporate America. So I would say we are pushing the peanut forward. 
some organizations do it much better than others. Some professionals, honestly, are more effective than others. Um, we're evolving, we're getting better every day, but I think we can all do better on almost every job we do. Myself personally, I'm continuously self-developing. I think I can always be better. My work can always be more effective. And there I look back and there are things, of course, I could have done better. So are you guys enjoying some success with the new platforms, the new devices, the apps, the, the one of Lee's favorite topics, gamification? I thought about that when we were talking about salespeople and how sometimes they're, you know, they might get engaged if, they're, if they could be in some sort of contest. Uh, contest. Mm -hmm environment are you enjoying some success using that kind of technology and all the new things on that front in your work yes currently we're enjoying some success using some of those um, not every industry and not every organization or initiative is at that at that technology place right now or that technology is not appropriate but for example Recently, we have used blogs for learners to compare notes and share learnings. So it's a private blog for the organization? Yes, where, where the learners talk with each other. Huh. I mentioned earlier email and text message blasts to help people remember what they've learned. Mm -hmm. I have seen some gamification. I have been following it. At U.S. Foods, we have one gamification course for salespeople. Um, um, so, yes, I'm seeing those things. Um, Again, if it's effective, um, if it works, it's good, <laughs> right? You don't know if it's working yet. The jury's still out. Well, I, I will say this: yes, the jury is still out, and I'm thinking of gamification. I recently attended a gamification presentation. Now, I've done a lot of research, and I read PI Quarterly all the time, and I see the research about gamification. There are gamification and game mechanic interventions that have had um, business results. However, at the presentation I went to where they reviewed about 20 high-profile gamification interventions, I kept asking, and what were the business results? And no one could give me the answer. So does, is it helpful that people hit the compliance website 3,000 mm -hmm. times more than they did last month? Sure, it probably is. However, what's the business result? You can't tell me? then I'm not sure hitting the website 3,000 more times is, is worth it. Right, because you're, you care about the outcome. Yes, performance, the ability to apply and make a difference. In fact, at a conference uh, last month where I presented, I said, look, I really am here to make money or save money. You can call it whatever you want, but that's my job. Right, and that's how you'll judge it. Yes. Uh, we got to talk again. I, I, we, you guys, there's so much stuff that I want to ask you. Uh, and we're gonna we're gonna wrap this segment, but the next time we get together, I'll just give you a little heads up. One of the things I want to ask you about, uh, and maybe this doesn't happen in really large organizations that have been established for so long, but in, in uh, small organizations like the ones uh, that I have an opportunity to 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 help lead, we do a great job of training something, and we hammer it into our folks, and then we just have to change it. And then everything we trained them on last year, now we want to totally change it. And to get them, uh, to help them make that shift, I, I'm interested to get your counsel on that. When we told them what to do, they did it. They did it great. Only we're not going in that direction anymore. We're going we're gonna to go the other way. And briefly, I'll say that's when performance consultants, when at their best, get a seat at the executive table and are able to be trusted business advisors to leadership and say, you know what, they, that may not be appropriate. That amount of change may not be appropriate. 
But I will also say, Lee and Stone, it's been a tremendous privilege to dialogue with you two today, and I really appreciate everything you've done. Well, it's been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. And we are. We're going to get back together, all right? Thank you. <laughs> okay, until next time, this is Stone Payton for Lee Cantor, our buddy Andy Bozinski, and everyone here at the Business Radio X family saying we'll see you next time on Learning Insights. This has been a special Business Radio X production brought to you by Training Pros, your source for local learning and development experts. Learn more at training-pros.com. 